that at the end of the day will win out. And I have hope in that, that the states that are doing it the right way will set the example that ultimately other states will yeah. be held accountable to. Welcome to The Broken Copier. Uh, this is this is our official really big rebrand from our previous podcast uh, called Professional Development. So now we are officially called The Broken Copier, a conversation about teaching. Uh, and my name is Jim Mayers. My name is Marcus Luther. Um, so a couple notes before we get started. First of all, thank you to everyone who hung around with us last year and was downloading episodes of professional development. And most importantly, thank you to those people who were uh, sending us encouragement and telling us that this wasn't, uh, wasn't a wild idea and to just keep going with it. It's been a lot of fun. So Marcus and I have been talking a lot over the past couple of weeks and we're both really excited um, to see this next chapter of the podcast go and just kind of keep this going. So just a thank you to people who have been downloading and listening and, and, uh, sharing in this little community that we have, uh, started to build a little bit. So, um, for those of you who are new, and if you're listening for the first time, uh, the broken copier is an independent and listener supported podcast. Uh, we would love your support by tagging us in social media at the broken copier rating and reviewing the podcast, wherever you stream emailing articles and ideas to at the, uh, to the broken copier at substack.com or honestly just sending an episode to your friends in education and say, Hey, this is a podcast about teaching. Um, and of course I have a lot of people on my list who've been sending me text messages and Instagram messages and things like that. But if you want to come on the pod and you're hearing this right now, this is your official invitation. I definitely, I know Marcus, this is probably true for you too, but we got a lot of people we would love to talk to. So we're easy to get in touch with, uh, and we would love to hear from you. And also, we want to just say this is a pretty hard moment to be a teacher. Um, it's been a hard couple of years to be a teacher, but we just want to say really one of the things that this podcast is about is to really say thank you to all the teachers out there, past, present, and future, who understand their classroom through a lens of social justice and change and who understand what is at stake. So, Marcus, I'll turn it over to you. What do we got today? Yeah, so today's episode, uh, I think came across both of our radars and we both had pretty strong reactions to the recent Arizona legislation uh, that was passed in response to their teacher shortage. We're going to talk about that, uh, go into details about it specifically and our thoughts and reactions. But before we do all of that, uh, I just, we're both teachers in the middle of summer. Your summer's ending far sooner than mine. And I, mm -hmm. I take great enjoyment in pointing that out. Uh, but yeah. I do think it's interesting for people to who are listening how do you spend your summer, Jim? Or like, what is your mindset as a teacher to use summer to the best of your capacity? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously I became a teacher for the summers off, right? Like that's why everyone uh, becomes a teacher. Um, this is uh, this summer I'm taking, I took this summer off. My summer's pretty short. Um, I, I work in a charter school. We have an extended school year. So uh, it's only, and I say that with quotes, uh, six weeks. So, you know, I pretty much since starting teaching in 2011, I've really worked a job, like some sort of school job, summer school, um, different summer institutes, attending conferences, all that kind of stuff. This summer, I made a really intentional choice not to do any of that. Um, I had a week long vacation with my wife's family, my sister's coming in for a week. And then the remaining four weeks have been honestly just like unplugging for myself, doing some reading, writing, guitar, trying to like actually take a break for a little while, uh, which is 
a very fortunate place for me to be, but that's that's been a very intentional choice for me this summer and I've really enjoyed it. How about you? Yeah. So like you, the reading uh, is a big part of it, especially like intentional reading of resources and ideas that I wouldn't have had time to do during the year because kind of during the school year for a lot of teachers is just keeping your head above water and not having the time and space to explore and research. And I really do think since I've begun teaching high school English, you know, a decade ago now, uh, I try to find like one new thing to learn and teach myself or go through from a student lens each summer. It's a little different this summer with a new child number two taking up a good amount of the sleeping time. Congratulations, by the way. A lot of research. Oh, thank you. Uh, but exploring different resources, trying to read different authors and perspectives, and really with an eye towards how could this fit in the curriculum. But of course, just like for my own enjoyment, like I've got my book of Gwendolyn Brooks, uh, Brooks Poetry right here I've been working through. Uh, and really just taking that time and space to read as someone who just enjoys literature as both of us do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, well, go ahead. Go for it? Okay, so uh, let's just talk about this legislation. It, yeah. it, it, we're not the only ones who reacted to it. It definitely had its own virality in terms of people mm-hmm. and teachers across the country seeing it. But we're talking about the Arizona law, which is SB 1159, that was passed in response to their shortage. So I'm just going to read from their press release. The bill sponsored by Senator Rick Gray of Sun City will allow those without a bachelor's degree to start trained to become a teacher and complete their training while also finishing their degree. Additionally, it provides greater flexibility for educators with expired licenses to renew their license and get back into the classroom more easily. And the governor of Arizona, Governor Ducey, said that this bill will ensure that more Arizonans have the opportunity to pursue a career in education and help get our kids caught up. Arizona families know the importance of this effort Teachers are critical to our kids' success today and well into their future. The press release also included uh, several school leaders from around the state expressing gratitude for the flexibility this bill would provide. Uh, The reactions were across the board, including many negative uh, nationwide uh, to this bill passing. But let's just start with you, Jim. You hear about (laughs) this bill. What are your thoughts? I mean, okay. I'm certainly I'm not an expert in the I, I don't know a ton about uh, the Arizona landscape. Um, I, be, I I think it's like very charter friendly, very um, alternative licensure friendly, and uh, my it's just it's just I I guess my my most honest reaction is just like it's honestly it's heartbreaking. One, it's like really disappointing. Um, it's not surprising. Like, I don't feel like I was surprised by this type of move. Uh, I feel like it's Arizona is not going to be the first place that does this. Like people are getting desperate for teachers. Right. And so I think back to, all right, well, it, this is even in the rhetoric of this, of this language, like they don't seem to think that this is going to be, they don't use the word talent. Uh, in here, they don't use the word, like, they're not using words around, like, you know, we really think that this is the best pool of candidates, or this is how we can, it's just, how can we get bodies in front of the classroom for as cheaply as possible? That's really what, that's really, to me, like, what the core of this issue is. And so if you think about nationwide, not just in Arizona, but 
what are the what are the key barriers like economic barriers for anyone not just a teacher okay so you have pay and you have housing right housing prices are wild right now my wife and i are you know sort of looking into the market a little bit and it's a really <laughs> scary place to be and it's wild because you know both of us are over 30 and my parents had kids two kids in a house well you know well into their 30s so I don't know. There's just all kinds of mixed feelings for myself when I when I look at things like this. Um, but the big thing that I think in terms of a professional perspective is, you know, not only do we need to attract a bunch of teachers into the classroom, but we also need a lot of teachers to stay. And this is just in order to get you to stay, no matter how hard it's going to be in your first couple of years in the classroom, and it is going to be hard in the first couple of years of your classroom, um, but it can be successful in your first couple of years in the classroom. And I think that like, if you attract, it's just a dangerous proposition to me because if you decide to open the gates to thousands and thousands of new people who are completely unprepared, uh, I feel like you and I are outliers in the fact that we're TFA people who kind of stuck with it. Like, it's just gonna be a lot of people who go get burnt out in a classroom really, really fast um, and that's just really disappointing to me. I think that's kind of the, the broad strokes of my reaction, but how about you? Yeah, I, we're gonna go deeper into this beyond our initial reactions, of course, but I think uh, a point that was made online, I think Tyler Rablin was the one, uh, someone I follow on Twitter who made this point that when you do this, it's not just about those teachers who are coming in with lack of training, lack of experience and their students, it's the other teachers who are already made the choice to stay, who are now supporting those teachers mm -hmm. who are going to be further burdened by their schools, having that much of more of a catch up to get the experience necessary to provide a successful education, a really difficult environment for any teacher the last few years. The other thing I want to point out that I've said before on this podcast uh, is that when there's a teacher shortage, it is not felt equally. If you have, 2000 vacancies in a state, wherever the state is. It's not like it's a, oh, one to two per school across the state. No, they are disproportionately going to affect the most under-resourced communities, the most struggling schools, the disproportionately students of color, mm -hmm. disproportionately positions such as special education positions. And so when there are vacancies and when we are flooding those vacancies with under-prepared teachers, and we will get into our own personal thoughts as coming into this as our own alternative licensure pathways into the classroom between Jim and I, but that's going to exacerbate inequities that already exist. So mm -hmm. when I look at this, I don't look at it as like a short-term solution. I look at it as a, as a long-term exacerbation of all the things that are already problematic. And that's where I get so... I don't want to get cynical because I, I'm trying, I don't think that's a helpful mindset, but it's hard not to respond to this and other legislation like this being passed around the country right now in different states and not get very wary as a teacher when you think about the long-term health of the profession. So that is like my pure, honest takeaway, along with just like, sorry, I'm just like go a little bit more of a rant yeah, keep, of like keep doing Arizona it. made its bed. Like this, I, there's a national teaching shortage in all states for lots of reasons, and it's complex. Mm -hmm. But I look at Arizona, I went through a quick stats before the show. One of the highest student per teacher ratios in the country, one of the lowest average teaching salaries in the country. 
They passed a universal voucher law, despite the fact that their constituents rejected that on a ballot measure by 65%. And they went around and passed it anyways, which takes money out of public schools and into private schools. And they just passed a law where parents and families can sue teachers if they violate their parental rights. Like, you've created a context that's going to make teachers want to leave the classroom. Mm, yeah. They're not going to stay. And then you're saying, oh, look at this nationwide teaching shortage. Like, you created this. Governor Ducey, like just being straightforward, like this is not a good state to be a teacher. Just Google worst states to be a teacher. Do you know what shows up in a top five in almost every list that I Googled? I Googled a lot of them, Arizona. And yeah. that is just at the end of the day, you get what's coming to you. And I'm not saying that to be not you know aware of that this affects students and teachers in Arizona and they're fighting a good fight. And I support you for fighting that good fight. But this is a bed that was made by choices, made by decision makers in Arizona and this is the consequence. Who, That's my rant. Yeah, and it's a good rant because it's a bet that was made by decision makers who, like, truly are so far removed from the classroom, right? Like, t- like, it, I don't know. I know that, like, you know, sometimes teachers get frustrated with, like, principals and things like that for being far removed, but, like, at the end of the day, everyone's in a school building, but, like, I don't know, man. Like, these people... Okay. On, like... You have to... I guess, for me, the question is, like, what is the benefit? This is a choice, right? Like, it it comes from... They could have made a different choice. They could have said, okay, no, let's take a look around and let's make teaching in Arizona a really great place to be. Let's like have a great mm-hmm. retirement system. Let's let's pay people like enough to live here. Like let's make an attractive place to be. So my question is, and this is an honest question. Like I feel like I could speculate, but what? Who is winning out here? Because it's not the students. It's not the teachers. Like who do you think wins on this? Well, I think the people who win are the people who don't believe in public education. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we have our f- most recent former secretary of education arguing in the statement in the last few days saying that she doesn't believe that there should be a department of education. Like, and this is going to be kind of, I guess, like my closing thought, but let's just put it in right here. At the end of the day, if you have people in charge as decision makers who don't believe in public education and a lot of the states that we're going to talk about, not just Arizona, but in other states, the people in charge do not believe in public education. They do not believe in the teaching profession. If you have people at the top who do not care about the institution that they have been tasked with leading and supporting, mm-hmm. this is what's going to happen again and again and again. And we shouldn't be surprised because they're not being secret about it. Right. Read their transcripts. Right. Again, Betsy DeVos said, I do not believe there should be Department of Education. Like, also building an entire career over attacking public education mm-hmm. and then getting put in the role of leading public education. If you put leaders in charge who don't believe in what they're supposed to be leading, this is the result. Mm-hmm. And our public education system has been taking a beating over the last few years for lots of reasons, including COVID-19 and other options. But look at the states that are making these choices and you are seeing states led by people who do not believe in public education explicitly you can watch what they've said look at the legislation they've passed and i just i don't believe when you have people at the top like you're saying removed from the classroom 
who have a lot of power making these choices, who don't believe in the ultimate goal of public education, it's hard to, no matter how hard you work underneath that, it's hard to believe that the outcome is going to be good for public education. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, it all is coming downhill from a value system that is not aligned with the public education system. Yeah. That's my bigger winner take. I think, so congrats, Governor. You got <laughs> yeah, what you wanted. Yeah, I think, I mean, to me, this underscores, um, I, you know, there's so much like, like progressive and left wing disillusionment with the Democratic Party. And, you know, I think basically everyone is disillusioned with the Democratic Party, left, right, and center. Uh, and in some ways for good reason, but like the larger point that I'm trying to make is that this is, to me, this is the kind of thing that really underscores the idea that like politics needs to be local because if like, I feel like if people were, um, and this is not just true of Arizona and I'm not trying to say this in terms of blame, but like if people were plugged in to local politics and understood, I, I don't know. I just I just feel like more people would push back on this. Although you said that they jammed through a ballot measure, despite what 65% of the people said. So it's just, it's so disheartening. Like it's so, it, it does make you feel powerless. It makes me feel powerless. Even, you know, living and working in Boston in a state that's very friendly to public education. Um, I feel very comfortable in my role, but I, you know, you and I came up in Arkansas and this is exact, like we care a lot about people who, who work in um, states that, and students who, who live in states that are certainly going to do some of this stuff. So it's, it's just sad. I think that's, that's a, I think that's my first thing about it. It's just sad. Um, but does make me, I don't know, convicted and continue to feel like this work has, is really important and meaningful, not just in, in ways that go far beyond, you know, doing sentence diet, you know, not that I'm a big sentence diagrammer, but you get my point. <laughs> well, you and I both in our classrooms, I know emphasize this idea of trying to put yourself in the shoes of different perspectives than your own. So let's, let's pause our visceral personal reactions to this. And I want to, if you're okay, let's explore the argument for this, which I, we've both been pretty open with where we stand, mm -hmm. but let me play devil's advocate from, you guys can tell at this point, my favorite governor of these United <laughs> States, Governor Ducey. Uh So, Jim, let me make the case of why this is the right thing for Arizona. Sure. One, we know that the traditional pipeline into teaching is broken. It costs way too much. It leaves teachers entering the profession in massive debt. We don't know that. Without I'm necessarily <laughs> the game. And I'm making my yeah, point, yeah, Jim. Yeah. This devil's You're advocate right. point. Uh, the, the traditional system that you and your co-host bypassed in their entry point, uh, and this, so it's broken. We know that all these people say raise public education pay. If I raised in my state public education pay for teachers by a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, that's not going to fill seats in their sorry fill positions in classrooms across my state in the coming year. Like my job is to get teachers in the classroom in the coming year. This addresses that. It gives districts flexibility. So districts that don't want to do that don't have to do that. So I'm giving local control. I'm also acknowledging that there's not one pathway into the classroom and that we want to get as much talent as possible. And I want to take barriers away from that to bring them into the classroom, especially bringing them into the classroom before they've piled up the debt that our broken college system that take, makes students take out way too much debt uh, is foisting upon them. 
why shouldn't I give my districts that I trust more flexibility to get the people they want in those seats? Because every argument that you're making is in bad faith, right? Right? Like you don't trust the districts. Um, you are not making you, you, you aren't you aren't breaking down barriers. You're putting up barriers because like. All, all of the premises that you assumed in every argument that you made, which I'm sure that's exactly that was, I didn't watch the rhetoric, I didn't watch the debate, but I'm I'm sure that that's very much in line with what the arguments were made. And and the reality is, if we wanted if we wanted to make teaching a very attractive, powerful profession, we could we could we live in a time of absolutely incredible wealth. I'm sure a lot of that wealth, especially from tech, comes from, uh, is in Arizona. You know, even even so-called blue blue places like Silicon Valley, like th- these, they are not healthy ecosystems for public education. And, and just the, you know, you can call me a socialist or whatever you want, but it's just the tr- like, I would extend, I would extend this, you know, loop in the the public school pipeline issues and lack of retention issues into uh, a huge crumbling ecosystem. I mean, my, my uncle, who I was having this conversation with an uncle, my uncle, um, a couple, I guess last month, I mean, he's a conservative guy, you know, business owner, and he's an electrician. He does a lot. He does a lot of commercial, uh, electrical work all up in New Hampshire and Maine. And, he and I are, you know, kind of surprisingly on the same page when it comes to a really dramatic need to reinvest in public infrastructure, especially for electrical uh, electrical power. And he he's he knows firsthand better than anyone how outdated our entire electrical system is nationwide. And just it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. It was built in the 1950s. It can't sustain power. You know, like it's 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 a miracle that we don't have like massive rolling blackouts all across the country, given the overall demand of the electrical system and uh, versus the load that it actually can carry. And I'm I'm sure you can pick up on this. I'm just using that as an extended metaphor for so many things in our society, roads, bridges, schools, fire departments, nurses. I mean, all of it is completely crumbling right before our eyes. And it's just none of the arguments that you made are in good faith because he and everyone else who's making those arguments are fully aware of that. And it's just like private wealth, make money, free markets, damn consequences be damned. I really think that's what it comes down to. What about the pipeline traditionally of graduate programs for teacher education with student teaching? Wouldn't you argue, and this is Marcus Mm -hmm. again, that there is something broken about a system that makes people do their student teaching and doesn't compensate them for yeah. that work. Uh, it makes them walk into what we know is an underpaid profession with massive yeah. debt. And you and I are saying this, like we can't necessarily, you and I say that this is the most important pipeline in a valuable system that both of us forsook. Like we did not go through it ourselves. I remember I got, as someone who wanted to be a teacher since fifth grade, I can remember the moment that I was told about that. So that I was like that lifelong, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I still feel convicted in that. I got to my senior year of college. I get into Teach for America. And I also had the option of pursuing grad school at my institution that I love. And I went into my professor, who was a very close friend and advisor. 
And he, I said, here are my two options. And he said, there is no reason for you to take on the debt that it would take for you to go, given your circumstances and your own debt you already have, uh, to get your master's, just teach for America. You can make that work. It'll be better for you in the long run and it won't do your harm. He, he worked for the School of Education mm -hmm. and he told me that that was the best path for me. So isn't there something broken about a system that sets teachers up to fail financially by sitting them in those situations? Yeah. Or are we both hypocrites for talking about this? No, I don't think, I mean, no, I don't, maybe we are. Like, I think everyone's a hypocrite in some way, but like, no, you're not a hip, like, yes, of course it's broken, but like, just because something's bro like, I'm not in, I, I'm not in shape like I want to be, but I'm not going to stop going to the gym. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, this is a complete, like, a move like this is just like, to me, it's like washing your hands and saying, oh, I can't, we can't get the teachers in. So we, and we don't want to pay them to come in and we don't want to be competitive for, you know, the many other way easier jobs that will pay a lot more. So let's just, let's see what happens. Like, let's lower the threshold. And that, to, no, that's, that's not the answer. And yeah, of course it's broken, but the answer is fix the problem, right? Like if you become a teacher, 20% of your, any student debt, private, public, whatever should be gone. I don't know, like come up with your policy, policy but solution, it's not. but like, <laughs> go ahead. So Jim, you are 20, 20 years old. You're in Arizona. You know, you want to be a teacher in sure. Arizona. You know what you know right now. You have an opportunity to start teaching as a 20 year old and make money and not have nearly the amount of loans that you would otherwise and dive into the classroom, know what you know now, or do you finish, go through the traditional route and walk in there with massive amounts of debt? What do you personally do? What's the best choice for you? I mean, the debt thing, I, like, I, I feel like the debt issue makes it, I, I would choose to go to the classroom without the debt. I mean, you and I both did. I would probably make that choice again. So, but to me, that, like, that doesn't mean that this necessarily is the solution. Like, the root cause is the debt, and the root cause is, like, I would say that the core issues to teacher preparation, which a lot of people smarter than us have, have really looked into this. And I want to talk a little bit about the, the Tennessee program. That seems really promising, but you know, if you take care of the debt and you take care of the, like you can, you can systemically address the debt, right? Like you can decide as a state to maybe you don't want to make all college free or whatever, what have you, but like could easily be a state decision to say, you know, teachers who graduate and go through our ed programs for four five, six years or whatever it is, absolutely no student debt and you're good to go fully certified. And, and most importantly, I will continue to make the argument that you'd be more prepared on the back end, right? Like my, my big questions, if you're, if, if you are, you know, debt aside, like I would feel really nervous as I was extremely nervous when I was first going into teach for America with very little, like, actual hands-on preparation beyond my own content expertise is like, am I going to get mentorship? Am I going to get coaching? Like what kind of support am I going to get? What kind of development am I going to get? There are tons and tons of really excellent education schools and models out there 
who provide that type of coaching. And like, I think that that is a very, not, not very new, but it's certainly like an emerging and evolving field of educational study. I mean, Aaron, my wife is an educational researcher, and this is a huge part of her portfolio is looking at, um, looking at the, the efficacy of teacher development models. And there are lots of really promising options out there. And, and this is not one of them. <laughs> it, so, but at the same time, at, you just said that what would be best for you would be to enter the classroom. And I think I struggle blaming teachers for choosing the path that makes the most sense given the system. We right. have states controlled by Republicans, states which are controlled by Democrats that have not made the paradigm changing costs and entry points for public education. I think we can all agree there's a best path that should not cost what it does, right. but it does cost what it does right mm -hmm. now. And I can't follow a single teacher for saying financially, this is the best way for me to enter the classroom of thinking of a long-term sustainable career. And I just, that's where I struggle with even the states that are probably between you and I more aligned with the leadership and values that we agree with, they're not changing the ball game either about how to, you know, in terms of supporting teachers financially to enter the classroom, raising pay in a substantial way so that when you post a job, you have a hundred applicants, because that's what would change right. the ball game of education is if you can dramatically increase the supply of people wanting to enter the teaching profession. So it's not happening in any of the 50 states. Yeah. So in the short term, uh, that's where I, I guess I'm trying to have humility, not just because both of us took alternative licensure into the classroom and stayed there. We're talking about this as 10 year teachers, but we're also having the humility to say, if this is what it is systemically, how can you fault a teacher for taking the path in the best? Well, program? you can't, right? And like, I think, I, I it, to me, it's not th those things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. Like, I'm very sure that there's going to be a lot of really talented, really passionate young new teachers in Arizona who are excited about the idea, and you know, for whom this works. But is it a, it, the questions are? We can, we can also ask those systemic questions, right? Is it sustainable? Do the majority of those people stay? You know, like, and <laughs> my instinct says that the answer to those first two questions right out of the gate is no. And I think it's really important to recognize that it is a very, very strategic and powerful political maneuver to pretend that the system can't be changed. It's like, oh, well, I we're operating in this context and there's really nothing we can do. Our hands are kind of tied. So, it, you know, the best the best we can do given all these circumstances is to, you know, X solution that is really intentionally ignoring all the other systemic changes. There's just such a lack of creativity and there's no appetite for imagination and there's no appetite for you know, you even made the argument in your pretend devil's advocate thing, this whole short term thinking, I mean, it's really a huge cancer on any type of political office that people, it's very rare that you get a politician in my, in my experience, regardless of the party who is honestly seems to have a real appetite for long-term creative systemic thinking. Like it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen very often. Yeah, but that's the political system sure. we've got. So 
what if you're in charge what is your short-term solution we agree that there are longer-term systemic ones that would make the profession better big picture that have not been adopted in any state and that's incredibly mm -hmm. disappointing but what are some things that you think would work in the shorter term maybe not next year but in like a shorter time frame more realistic that you think could happen or have you seen happen yeah i mean places? you could start um when i was reading up on this you there's um there's a promising model from tennessee it's called the grow your own program um it's it's an apprenticeship model and this isn't the first this isn't the first i've heard of an apprenticeship model but you essentially it's a it, it, it's a model that recruits new teachers allows them to study um in the case of tennessee it graduates with no debt and then you become a fully licensed teacher with coaching and mentorship um uh, the, essentially the school districts operate as the employer for the teacher apprentices. My, my school in Boston, Brooke, uh, we have an associate teacher program that does this type of model where you come in, you essentially are, you are an associate teacher, which means you observe classes for a long period of time throughout the first semester. There's like a gradual release of control and you do, you do a lot of like observation, debriefing feedback. And it's like, a pretty slow release over time. Um, it's not, you know, I think it's not, it doesn't work as completely as well as we would like, but it's, it's the whole idea. I think the first thing, and I'm not an economist, so I don't know how to price this out, but it just seems like the idea of having an apprentice model where you, where you have like real hands-on um, coaching and very direct support on a day-to-day -day basis is pretty essential, um, which also means you have to release those other mentor teachers. Like those teachers, it needs to be very, it needs to be viewed as uh, like, you can't just add that to a full-time teacher's work stream. Like I, I do not sign up for the, our associate teacher program because I know that I don't have the capacity right now to coach another teacher adequately, right? Unless my role was changed then I would, but it's not. So I don't know, it's pretty complicated, but the mentorship relationship is the first place that I would look. I agree with that. I do want to note that Tennessee is another one of those states that's led by someone who does not believe in public education. Uh, Governor Lee is connected with the leader of the Hillsdale College program that's massively expanding charters throughout the state. And if you look into Hillsdale College charters, not good mm. stuff. Uh, and by the way, the leader of that charter movement, a leader of Hillsdale College, was quoted recently of saying about teachers, they are, quote, educated in the dumbest parts of the dumbest colleges in the that? country. So, and that guy is that verbatim quote. And that's very close ties to the governor of yeah. Tennessee. So this is, gets back to my original point, though. The people at the top, if they don't believe in public education, no matter what the stuff is below that, I don't have belief that that is going to take their state and talk to teachers in Tennessee about what it's like to teach in Tennessee right now with all the CRT stuff attacking right. them as well. Like this is where I try to take a step back and look at the number of states that are led by people who don't believe in public education and are actively pursuing policies that undermine education. And to quote either them or their closest advisors, they've given the mm -hmm. game away. It's they don't believe in public education. So as much as I want to like finagle and have a generosity of spirit about the different cool programs they're applying here and there, if their value system is that does not align with public education, I get incredibly cynical to believe that anything that they're doing is anything other than a cover 
or a short-term Band-Aid over a long-term wound that, by the way, they're the ones mm-hmm. creating the wound. Like, it's like you, know, you, you rip off someone's leg and say, here's a Band-Aid. I'm not going to say, oh, thanks for the Band-Aid. Like, that, that's where I'm at right now with so many leaders in different states in the country not believing that they actually believe in what yeah. they say they do. Or actually, in this case, very much taking them yeah. their word for it. I'm personally excited to find so, something that sorry. you're a lot more cynical about than I am. Not to say that I'm not cynical, but I'm glad I, I feel like I'm, I'm typically the cynical one. And I, I just appreciate the energy you're bringing right now. That's all. Yeah. I just, for me at a bigger picture level, and we've talked about this, so I apologize for going on repeat. We've spent a decade making it harder to be a teacher intentionally without any work done to make it better right. to be a teacher, to bring people into the fold. And that's this isn't an educational theory thing. This is economics 101. Like I'm getting my core credits in college before I take my English mm-hmm. lit courses. Like supply and demand. If you make it harder to do anything and you don't increase compensation and support, fewer right. people do it. Guess what? Look at shortages across the country. Fewer people are doing it. This is basic. And right. we've like, sorry, I've, like, I said this 10 years ago. This is where we're oh, heading. Yeah. Like, it's very simple economics. And I'm someone who doesn't even understand economics. But that's where I get so frustrated is that people pretend it's not what it is. It's so mm-hmm. obvious that we are where we are because we chose to be here. And that's you know, where it's I interesting that you mentioned economics. I think I wrote this in the, um, the post that I just put up on Substack a little while ago, but Aaron's cousin, uh, just got his, he was visiting us, uh, this past week because, um, he is an economics professor at, at Buffalo, uh, just got his PhD. He is a literal economist. That is what he, that's his job. He's an economist. And he and I were talking a little bit about um, teaching, and he he noted to me, which which I, I didn't find surprising, but I did find it pretty powerful. He was like, you know, economics, in terms of academia, is really one of the more conservative disciplines um, politically, which is not surprising. But he says, you talk to any economist, and it's like climate change. It's it, the the red flags that economists are talking about when it comes to underfunding public schools, you know, if you compare, uh, I think I, I don't know exactly. I'm probably going to get this wrong, but he gave me an example of like South Korea and like where the teachers, like a comparative example between the United States and South Korea. Um, obviously, the currency and the financial systems are different, but like teachers are just paid. It, it would be like you know a dentist with your own full-time practice. Like that's the economic equivalent. Um, and so, yeah, there's just, I guess here's a question. Like, do you have any hope? Like, that's my question. Like, do you have hope? Like, I don't really, and I hate to say this, but because one of the reasons that we did this podcast is to, is to hopefully kind of keep it alive. But this is the kind of thing that's hard to hear because it makes me think that, it, it can feel hopeless, but hopefully it's not. I think my two hopes would be this one. I don't know. I, I mean, let's just go with one hope. It's getting late. Uh, is that if it gets bad, people do very much pull after pull 
they say, oh, I can't stand education. Like the, the public sentiment of education nationwide right. is not great. But if you ask people, how do you feel about your kid's teacher in your kid's school locally, they feel much more positive because once it's beyond like the, whatever bubble you're listening to the news on here in the worst, you know, right. hyperbolic stories, and you just think about people, you know, you start seeing, oh, these are people who are working immensely hard to do best for my kid. And that's not to say that that happens everywhere. We can talk on the flip side of another episode about holding teachers accountable, which I think we both feel is important as well. But I think if you get to the point where the shortages are felt so much and te people don't feel as good about their local schools and they don't feel like they have a good place to get the experience they want for their kids, I do have hope that there will be a transformational mm -hmm. change. I don't think it'll happen until that point. Good news. Seems like a lot of Republican governors, being straightforward about this, want us to get to that transformational point based on the yeah, policies they're, they're for pursuing. It. And it's not just Arizona. We could go down the list. We're not going to for time's sake. But it is happening everywhere. And it is teachers were already at a breaking point. And then we saw a wave of this anti-CRT yeah. legislation. We see all of this legislation that we talked about in this episode. And we're going to get to that point where that shortage is not just in bits and pieces in different spots. It is manifest across the system. And I do think there will be a pushback when it's, oh, I don't have three of my seven teachers that I'm supposed to have for my son who's a senior in high school. And that's how their right. senior year is going to end. Like that's the type of response that I think is beyond politics mm -hmm. where people just care about having that public education option for their kids in enough places that change could happen. I don't believe it'll happen until that happens, but I don't know. I, I don't want to like be the person who says, I hope it gets so bad that it gets good. Cause I do think that's cynicism wrapped with yeah. the bow, but yeah. that's what I've got right now. And maybe I'm just not well, in a happy place. I think that's how it works. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see it unfold like that. Um, I think about myself graduating and where I was with with Teach for America. Like, there just weren't a lot of options. Well, I was graduate. We were, I was a year ahead of you. But, you know, there just weren't a lot of options. And I was like, what? what is a stable path of, of something that I would care about? Um, I mean, those were the big things for me that, that drew me to teach for America, but it was, it, I was graduating in a recession. We were graduating in a recession and I hate to say it, but that is, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I doubt, honestly, it's just, it, you can't prove a, a negative or something, whatever the, I forget what the phrase is, but the, the, the point is the you know the incentive landscape is different now in a lot of ways, but it's possible that it could be it could be very similar in a lot of ways in the next couple of years for new college graduates um, to to ultimately get into teaching. But the larger issue is retention, like retention and and coaching and development, in addition to. Uh, in addition to in addition to attracting them to the classroom in the first place, which is a completely different ball game. Well, let me offer this other hope because in the state by state landscape we have, it's very different to be a teacher mm -hmm. in different states right now. And you see policies like this being passed in some states and not in others. 
And at some point, that disparity of like, oh, this state doesn't have nearly the shortage. People are flocking to teach in these states. But in these states, you have massive shortages, massive disruption, massive underfunding of schools, instability within those schools and communities, mm-hmm. which is tragic. Like, you get one shot at your public education for people to right. be playing games right. with it the way they are is tragic and infuriating. But if the disparities of what it is to be in this state versus this state continue, add in like, oh, in this state, you have the right to your mm. body as a woman versus this state. Like we're seeing all sorts of these disparities that again are tragic and infuriating. But I have hope that the people making the choices that are best for students and communities and respecting what is people deserve and need. And honestly, look at the states we're both in, where we've chosen to go to with our own families. Like that at the end of the day will win out. And I have hope in that, that the states that are doing it the right way will set the example that ultimately other states will yeah. be held accountable to. That's what I, I hope that you're with. right. It's just, it's so, there's so much tension with people who the vast majority of people like can't move. Like they, like those it, it's, you know what I mean? It's so sad to have to wait for this type of like political upheaval because in the meantime, like you said, people are playing games and, it's it's people's education and it's people's careers, right? Like if you're a young teacher, you only start your career one time, and it, it should be in a positive and healthy space. And I don't know, it's very hard right now. It's really hard. Yeah, just be explicit. I I don't feel like I could comfortably teach in Arkansas right now, given the climate and education. Yeah. I'd love to teach. I had an amazing experience eight years teaching in Arkansas and loved those communities, loved the schools I worked in, based on current legislation. Just like. I don't think I could talk about race in the way that I need to talk about race in the schools that I was working. And by the way, I had great conversations around mm-hmm. that. We've talked about this on this podcast, but that's against the law technically by current legislation. And I could get fired and lose my ability to support my family. Yeah. So bye bye Arkansas. It's, I'm not there. Like that's not the only reason that contributes. Yeah. And like, that's People, my point yeah. is that if you continue to pass legislation, that makes it harder to be a teacher in your state. Yeah. Teachers are going to leave and they're going to go to states where it's more, supportive to raise their families in. Uh, and that's just where we're at. And again, that's not making light of what it means to be in those states. If you're students who are experiencing the loss of these teachers and the instability, I acknowledge that, but that's what's happening right now. And I don't want to call it yeah. anything other than what it is. I think so. I'm, I, I prefer clarity over hope at this point. I want to be clear yeah. about what the problem and is. And I think just to pivot a little bit, like, one thing that I would want people to hear is especially for new teachers, like we've been doing, like, it's hard no matter what, like we have, it it don't, I don't know. It's going to be hard where Marcus and I am sure you can hear are very frustrated. And at times it feels hopeless. Um, but just, I don't know, stick with it. Like we got to, that's the only, like, otherwise they win stick with it or otherwise they win. I think that's where, where I come down to it. Yeah. Yeah. And go to our podcast archive. You'll hear lots of positive anecdotes. We'll have more coming. Uh, I think summer it's easy to get cynical cause you don't have the daily reminder yeah. of what the classroom can offer. Cause we're both teachers who love what we do, find purpose in what we do. And I think that ho- that personal hope is missing from this conversation just cause it's summer. And I think our emotions are a little high on this topic, 
but yeah. as I'll say personally, mine are, but this, like two things can be true. We feel incredibly convicted and hopeful in what we're doing in our classrooms. And we take a step back and we look at the bigger picture and there's a lot yeah. of things to be infuriated by. Yeah. Those things are both true right now. And I'm excited to go back in my classroom come September uh, and get that daily sense of hope from what the students bring. But for now, yeah. I'm going to be pissed off because I just, I'm pissed off for what this means for so many students and communities around the country based on the decisions by people in power who don't believe in public education. And there are real consequences yeah. that are being felt. It's a good place to end it. Be pissed. Me. It's okay to be pissed. Yeah. Use it to make a good classroom. That works pretty well, actually. Don't yell yeah. at kids, but. <laughs> no. um, all right, Marcus. Oh, well. well, it's great to catch up with you again, and uh, we'll see you next time. The Broken Copier is an independent, listener-supported podcast for teachers. The show is written and hosted by Marcus Luther and myself, Jim Maris. I do editing and sound design for the show as well. Thanks to Casey Roberts, a blues musician born and raised in the Mississippi Delta, for writing and supplying original intro music. Thanks to Tom Chitari, a jazz musician, composer, and teacher currently based in Australia. Right now, you're listening to Woodstock from his album Garden, available now on Spotify. You can stream his music under the name Uncivilized. Fun fact about the album, it includes vignettes from a single called Rain Stomp, which was originally written to support Stacey Abrams' Fair Fight Action Network for Super Tuesday in 2020. Check out all his work at guitaruncivilized.com and uncivilizedtom.com, where you can sign up for guitar lessons on Zoom, just like I do. Links are in the show notes. Thanks very much to my sister, Courtney Malavik, for the graphic design you see on our social media and episode posts. Thanks to Brandon Piasecki for helping to get this project off the ground. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators, bring helpful analysis and collaboration, and celebrate everyone doing the hard work in the classroom. We hope to connect and direct time, resources, and energy towards concrete efforts that will improve student outcomes, especially in marginalized and underserved communities. We are not the only ones doing this. We want to honor and say thank you to the many educators out there past, present, and future, who already understand their classroom practice through a lens of social justice and change. We'd love to connect with you, hear about what you're doing, and give you a space to share your work. If you want to support the show, you can help us grow and connect for free, reach out on social media at The Broken Copier, text an episode link to your friends in education, or even share an episode to your own social media feeds. You can email thoughts, feedback, and ideas to thebrokencopier at substack.com. You can also read other essays and thoughts on teaching and learning at thebrokencopier.substack.com, where we publish all of our episodes, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.